Hello and welcome to Super Rugby Round 13. Um, uh, what is it? Review. That's what it is. It's a review of what's happened for the weekend. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving More. Welcome to the best place for predictions and opinion. Um, and uh, yes, don't worry, the guys who are going to do the actual show are going to be much better um, sort of prepared and know what they're saying than I am. So um, I will hand you straight over to them. But do join me in the live chat um, during the show live and obviously join me back here at 8pm tomorrow night for the um, for Hash Rugby chat um, as well. But uh, this evening, I'll hand you over to Steve. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very, very well, thanks. Um, good to have everyone back and ready to go for the Round 13 review. Get it around the right way uh, for this week, Paul. Um, round 13, yes, of course, we had seven matches to go through. So um, let's not mess about. Let's dig straight into it because seven games is always a long weekend. There's a lot to talk about, as for always. So we'll start off where it all began on Friday night with the Blues up against the Hurricanes. And 100th match uh, for old James Parsons, who seems to be around the track a million times in 10. He has played his 100th Blues game, which is quite an achievement for the hooker to do that for the Blues. But the game started off with plenty of early chances inside the opening 10 minutes. And it took a while for the Blues to get anything out of it. Tui Pelotu bulldozing his way through defenders for offloading to little man Sam Knock under the sticks. And the Blues are off to a good start of the game. And they dominated, you'd say, the early period of the match 20 minutes of huge pressure from the Blues and the Hurricanes get one little stiff back the other way a turnover at the ruck from Laomape pops it off to Lamb and well Ben Lamb going through the Blues defense like it was thin paper up against a nuclear missile and all that work from the Blues was quickly undone and we we're all tied up back we began at seven points all the game took a big swing after that back towards the Hurricanes they got more territory and they took their turn in the lead. The Barrett brothers linking up inside the 22. And the good form continues for Geordie Barrett, who slides over to give the Hurricanes a 14.7 half-time lead. And this one seemed very similar to the Highlanders game a couple of weeks ago, where the Blues started off really well, but faded as the match wore on. And that's what we're seeing here today as well against the Hurricanes. Jeff Tumunga-Allen set the first yellow card of the weekend after a big run of penalties um, as the Blues set about building another small township inside the Hurricanes 22. They took 20 minutes to do it, but it was impressive little houses there inside that Hurricanes area. And after error and mistake and stupid plays from the Blues, they finally managed to turn into some points in the corner. Dalton Popoli scoring and the conversion failed to go over. So that gave the Hurricanes a slender lead, 14 points to 12. With 19 minutes to play, a lot closer than many people would have expected. Against runner play for the third time in a row, off a blue scrum, Bowden Barrett plays thief on the night, intercepting, and as we know, once he's in the clear, there is no stopping that man, and he was gone. 19-12, Hurricanes lead. They got a late penalty to seal the deal, putting it up to 22 points to 12. Hurricanes doing the job over the Blues. Shane, an interesting start to the weekend. Uh, the Hurricanes probably a bit pushed more than they would have liked there against the Blues. Yeah, and look, it's always good to see the, the Blues having a crack, and well done to James Parson, 100, 100 caps. It seems like he has been, as you said, around forever. You can play for the Pirates Rugby Club when you retire from the Blues, mate. We need some, some players <laughs> at the moment. Oh, but um, Scraping bottom of the barrel there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've got to say, um, I, I've got to say this word, yes. Yes, and why? The Hurricanes. The Hurricanes because I want to see a team start to stand up to the other New Zealand teams obliquely won from Christchurch. Um, and they are starting to starting to put some pressure on that table. Obviously not enough, but <laughs> enough to, to be an alternative side to, to 
to really watch other than the Crusaders. So it's good to see the Hurricanes pile on some wins. Uh, good to see them play well with their backs. It's great to see the Barrett brothers in form. Um, and, it is, you know, I think the Hurricanes forwards have started to lift their work rate and a few other things over the last few weeks. So it's just been positive things that, that we're seeing from this side. So good on them. And, you know, good on the Blues too. They haven't given up. They're having a bit more of a crack this year, and that's all you can really ask of them. So that's that's what I took from that first game, Steve. Yeah, an interesting one to start off our weekend. Um, the Hurricanes are a team that just seem to do enough to get the victories, don't they? Um, like is being spoken about in every preview that seems to be around at the moment, they're only losing uh, to one side, and that is the Crusaders this season. So everyone else that comes knocking, um, they are sending them back where they come from uh, with the points in the bank. So you can't really argue with that. And if they were on a, a normal um, sports leaderboard, they would be sitting second. So uh, they're having a decent little season, although, you know, results like that probably does uh, look, make the Blues look a little bit better um, than they actually are. But um, that is our first game of the weekend. We'll move swiftly on. And this one, this one's for you, Shane, especially for you. I noticed you're ripping the shirt there. you got it all going on. The Rebels are up against the Reds. And, um, First thing I noticed about this one was the referee. Oh, my good old friend, Angus Gardner, who I've given a new name. Anyone who follows me on Twitter will now I know, now refer to him as Angus Gardner. So that is his new name. He was in control, so I was expecting at least 17 cards of some description. And at some point, we'll have about 10 versus 11 going on the field. And it didn't take long either, did it? Karevi sent to the bin. He went up for a high ball, collided with Guinea. They both come crashing down. And there we go. See you later, Karevi. First one in the bin. And the Reds are down to 14 men. The Rebels took full toll, though. Man up. And they scored the opening try through Korobeti. Skinning defenders out wide. And he was very quick to give the Rebels the lead with the man advantage. The Reds took the threes on offer. They stayed in touch throughout the half, but it's the Rebels who were setting it up through the mall, working close to the Reds' line, set up their second try. And as the Australians like to do this season, it seems it was a hooker, Rangi, who dots down to extend the lead. Just before halftime was the Reds, who finally struck in something more than three. Lucas showing some great footwork and a great combination with Tupo down the right-hand side. Lucas picking up a tidy little finish to bring the Reds back into the game. But just when it looked a bit more positive for the Reds, no. Angus Cardner said no. And he said Higginbotham to the bin this time, collapsing them all on the stroke of half time, and he was out of the game for the rest of the half and a bit of the second as well. The Rebels didn't manage to take advantage, and off we went to half time to score at 14 points to 11. The Rebels holding a slender lead. The Reds doing well to stay in the game. Reese Hodge gets a cracker of a ball from Billy Meeks to bust straight off the set piece in the second half. And he was hauled just short, but he popped a good little pass back up. And it was room for the big man, Tetra Faulkner, to track down in the corner. And the yellow card once again proving costly for the Reds. Average defence for the Reds saw a pretty easy try for the Rebels to extend the lead. Hodge again breaking the line. He was devastating for the Rebels and he put it through the hands, finding Dane Haylett Petty with an inside ball and no red defence in sight and the score blew out to 24 points to 11. The Reds though finally did wake up. Their all got going. They demolished their way past a weak attempt for the Rebels and it was Harry Hooper who benefited from the work of the pack 24-18. Surprisingly, it was still... Game on. The Rebels run down the clock well, though, taking threes, keep the Reds at bay and pushing their lead out over that seven-point margin and the full-time score, 30 points to 24. The Rebels taking the win, but the Reds, Shane, a valiant effort from them, despite Angus Carter doing his best to send them all home early. Well, i got to say, Steve, as I always do, if, if the Reds go down fighting, I see that as a bit of, of pride in the jumper. That's why I'm wearing the jumper today. 
because I'm proud of them. They had a crack. It, 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 it hasn't been an easy few years for the Reds. Um, the last couple have been a lot better than the previous three or four. But um, certainly, you got to head at the Rebels. They've had a tough few weeks themselves. They want to get back on track with the conference and pick up the pace a bit and pick up the pace they did. Um, they got out to about 24 to 11. It was probably close to bed then. Um, really proud of the Reds, guys. They did get a bonus point um, penalty goal after the siren um, to, to make it respectful. And can I say this? And I know that I'm showing perhaps my little bit of bias here towards towards the Queensland boys, but in in the last few years they would have just given this game up and not fought till the very end. They fought to the very end and they deserved a bonus point at the very least out of it. So I'm pretty pretty pleased with the effort. It was a lot better than when they played the Rebels a few weeks ago. I mean, their season's not over yet, is it? They still sit middle of this Australian conference on 23 points. That loss, the Rebels, does hurt them, but they're five points adrift of them now. And, of course, um, six points adrift of the Brumbies, who we'll talk about later on. But still, they're in you know, respectability reasons. They don't want to drop down. It'll be great for them to be able to beat the Waratahs because they're a big rivalry, you know, New South Wales, Queensland, the old school sort of style there. So they've got a lot to play for. They've got a lot of respectability to get in there as well. So... Um, yeah, they're a decent little side that's going to improve, and um, they did put in a good showing uh, despite a lot going against them in that game um, against the Rebels. But uh, like I say, the point, very, very valuable for them, is that's what their third bonus point now as well. So um, need a few more of those for the rest of the season um, for the poor old Reds. Moving on over to Africa, and here we go. This one was interesting because a lot of people thought after last week with the Crusaders that things could get a bit intriguing over in uh, South Africa where the Bulls were at home waiting for it. So that draw really did making uh, this one a little bit more interesting. Uh, the success of the Bulls at home brought it even more that way. And it was the Crusaders, as we expected, who you're always going to go into this one as favourites. Got the lucky bounce of the ball early on. Uh, Bridge with a little grubber. And it was what's turning out to be the man of the moment. It's definitely this match anyway. Richie Moanga, right place, right time. And he follows up to start the scores off very, very early. Full of confidence. Moanga was at again. This one was a cracker of a try. Solo brilliance. Um, just getting the ball up, stepping a couple of defenders, taking a bit of pace, um, burning players off and stepping them with ease. Takes his personal tally and his team's tally up to 14-0. Richie Moanga was running the show. The rest of the Crusaders finally started to get involved as... Bridge uh, returned a kick, splitting two defenders and opening up the sea. And good support from Goodhue and eventually Dunshay, who galloped. And there's nothing more you can call it than galloped. He looked like a big old horse out there trotting down the sideline. 30 metres, determination, taking out a defender with them and bowling over in the corner. Uh, the Crusaders were all over this one in the first half. Just before half-time, the Bulls decided that uh, defending the short side was unrequired. And so Kieran Weed went for a little scamper uh, down the sideline, finding the electric pace of Sever Reese inside him. And he burns over, as he always does as well. A bit like Barrett before. If you get him in space, he is gone. And it was a romp. It was a crushing to the Crusaders at halftime. A couple of Pollard penalties as all the Bulls managed. And a commanding halftime lead to the visiting side. 26 points to 6. One-way traffic uh, for the Crusaders. Sibu Reese got the second half off to a cracking start as well, proving any space is space enough for the guy of his speed. And against a couple of forwards around the breakdown, before you know it, he's in for his second try of the game. 
the Bulls take a leaf out of the Blues book from earlier in the first game, and they camped inside the Crusaders 22, building another small village. We've got a lot of building going on this week as well. Before they finally broke down the defense, Berger Oldendale getting some joy for the Bulls, untouched under the sticks, finally finding somewhere without a defender to get in his way. Normal business resumed soon after the crossfield kick from the Knights' master, Richie Moanga, which uh, Severis took high, flying at speed, and really it was a poor attempt to stop him as well, and he was in for his hat-trick try. The Crusaders' forwards got involved near the end, and a lot of more spinning back to the blind side. Scott Barrett chiming through, and uh, he just took them all out, didn't he? Taking defenders with him, and completing an absolute thrashing in Loftus' Shane. No one was stopping the Crusaders here this week, where they they were tested against the Sharks. They were probably quite annoyed that they didn't get the win last week. They're backlash here against the Bulls. Well, I'm quite annoyed they got the draw against the Sharks. I hope they would have actually lost for once. Um, but um, I tipped the Crusaders this week to to bounce back, actually, and they did that, and they did that with. No mercy. Um, just no mercy this side because they're, they're just full of the talent that, that you expect from from New Zealand rugby. Um, and, um, you know, the Crusaders can have one bad game, but they won't slip up in the second. And um, the Bulls were the, were the team that um, got the wrath of the score. So, you know, brilliant attacking rugby, brilliant defence obviously they, they kept the, the Bulls to 13 and the Bulls are a pretty dangerous side if, when they get get that running game going so look um, all in all another three star performance by the Crusaders Yep 45 to 13 uh, a thrashing I, no I not really expected it to be that bad I think um, the little hope the Bulls had was, was quickly squashed in that one and they were put completely to the sword of the Crusaders uh, continuing on, uh, the demolition of the New Zealand Conference as well, sitting nicely with a seven-point lead over the second-place Hurricanes who are on 40 points. So there's a long way back to before the Highlanders are there on 29. So it is big time at the top for the Crusaders and for the Hurricanes, of course. But that does bring us to the end of our halfway points and enough time for a halftime team talk with uh, Paul, the host of the show. Welcome to the halftime team talk. Yes, and um, down below there is a link to patreon.com for slash driving more which is where my supporters uh, can go and support the site um, last week i did an exclusive video for them talking about the how why the super Rugby was so tight this year um, and i've been asked to do a video this week talking about the well the low attendances in grounds uh, um, is, is going to be the topic for this week's for your ears only so um, go down there click on that you can become a patreon for as little as a dollar um, a month that gives you access to all the um uh, exclusive videos uh, that I have on there uh, and I say I'll be talking about the crowd figures um, or, or the crowd numbers um, of all the sides this week uh, this week interesting make sure you get involved check it out yes moving on swiftly on to our next match of the weekend it was the mighty Highlanders up against the visitors from Argentina the Jaguars, and we celebrate another 100th game 
for a team this time. Elliot Dixon notching up the triple figures for the Highlanders. Um, a bit of a stalwart for the side. Good old South the man as well, uh, making 100 games up there for the Highlanders. But this game, uh, open start, plenty of chances. But the first one was the way of the Jaguars. Cancelero, the man with the great name. His acceleration, a danger throughout this whole match as well. Uh, from a wayward kick away from the Highlanders as well. Grub it out wide and it was Moroni who finished off the opener. And an early lead for the visiting side was put a dampener on the crowd who were pretty much full of voices they always are in Dunedin. The Highlanders had to work hard though, long phases to get back in an attacking position and it was Yuani who split the line and some say unselfishly offloading it to, to uh, Lynch's to score and then uh, he does all the hard work but then he scuds an easy kick which would have brought them back on level picking. So they trailed behind for the conversions but Aaron Smith was the one to spot space around the breakdown and he is one into good form that can really make this a dangerous area of the field. Plenty of support with him as well. Tompkinson, who finds it fattest, who finishes off to finally give the Highlanders the lead after they got back into the game. But straight off the kickoff, an error from a Jags penalty gave the gift straight back to the Highlanders, who again took it very easy. Yuani with another beautiful assist to Tompkinson, who brings the Highlanders back out in front after the Jaguars let that slip. A penalty kickstart just five minutes out. From the Jaguars line, puts the line out more in for the Highlanders, who execute again very, very well. And Liam Coltman this time rumbling over, and the hookers are having an absolute gem of a season this year, aren't they? Tries all over the place, and the Highlanders will want to take the lead at the break, 26 points to 13. Into the second half, the Jaguars inside lines have been given problems all night, but finally it started to pay dividends for them. Kramer slicing through, hardly untouched, and the lead was cut down to less than seven yet again. The Highlanders turn to taking penalties, keep that scoreboard ticking over and wind down the clock. They took their lead up to 12 points thanks to the boot. So the Jaguars continue to look in fives. And some good hands through the back line found the danger man, Moyano, in behind the defence with his speed. Too quick for the chases of Aaron Smith and Ioani. And he cuts the lead back to just five points with 15 minutes left to play. The Highlanders tried to give the Jaguars as many chances as they could. There was mistakes, there was poor kicks, but they didn't manage to finish any of them despite the good form that the two sides have shown earlier. And they played some good old Southland, pass it one off and just fall on the floor and then let the clock tick down as the ruck played out. And the Highlanders held out in the end, five points only difference, 32-27. A tight one, the Jaguars playing well on the road, Shane. It's a, it's a good sight to see. It's fantastic, Steve. Um, and firstly, well done to Willie. Elliot Dixon, 100 caps for the for the Highlanders. He's a real champion of that club. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's great to see the Argentinian sides play so well against the New Zealand sides. They've really stepped up a gear this year. In fact, they've won one and they've had two bonus point losses out of the other two. Um, very respectable results. Um the Highlanders probably, you know, could have um, did a little, done a little more damage after half time if they really um, put their mind to it with a few other things. And um, the Jags could have easily probably won that game in the end too, the way they'd started to fall on top. Uh, but, but let me say this, that wasn't a bad game of rugby at all. That, wasn't, that was not a bad game of rugby. That was a good way to start Saturday. Five points is probably a fair reflection in the end of where the two teams were. Um, so, you know, well done to the Highlanders. Well done to the Hugs. They're, they're really having a crack. And, you know, 
looking forward to the next weekend. They're having a good crack. And, I mean, we talk about it every week, the South African Conference. They are right there. I mean, everyone's right there and it, really. I mean, only the Stormers can probably say they're, they're starting to teeter on the, the edge of existence in there. But, boy, uh, top three sides separated by one point, 29, 28, 28. That is crazy close uh, over there. And, I mean, to come away there for losing bonus point for the Haguaros is definitely a massive thing for them. To take a point away from New Zealand Tour, great start for them. And um, they do look good this season as well. Yet again, um, backing up from much improved years come by now for this side. We'll move on to another team who's desperate for points in both sides of the equation. The Chiefs versus the Sharks. And, um, boy, this one had a lot riding on it, didn't it? Of course, the Sharks coming off that draw of the Crusaders. Now, the Chiefs, oh, their season has been just an absolute lottery, hasn't it, of all sorts of performances, but mainly poor. And it took a long time and plenty of years before the Chiefs did finally get the tri-counter underway. It was Molly with a thunderous run that allowed McKenzie to set up two Shark defenders who smashing into each other. And then the little man, Brad Webber, with the little wheels that just go like... um like little toothpicks through the grass, and he run away to grab his opening try and the first of the matchup as well. The Sharks, though, followed that up with the perfectly executed way of how to chase a kick, a box kick. Um, many, not too many fans of this, but Louis Schroeder kicking it high, a catch messed up from Alamalo, who was a bit indifferent at the start, chased perfectly from Nkosi, who popped it off to the big man, Hiron Andrews. This guy is a giant, and what a sight it was to see him plowing, down the field for another 30-meter scamper for a forward. That was a great try to see. And it was all tied up. A fantastic try and a reply from the Sharks just after the commentators have been talking them down about not scoring a try on their tour so far. So that was quickly a slap in the face for those guys. The Chiefs replied pretty much straight away. A line out, 10 meters out. A little set play through the back line. Some rapidly recycled ball from Anton Leonard-Brown. The Sharks' defense doesn't recover. It doesn't set itself up. And it's an easy run-in for Karpik, who put the Chiefs into the lead. Into halftime, 17-13 over the Sharks. Took 15 minutes to get going in the second half, but it comes away of a yellow card. And you got to say, in this match, I will give credit to the ref because he took a lot from these players. And there's been a bit going on after this match about how much was let go and how many cards he could have been if our good friend Angus Cardner was actually in charge of this one. It would have been probably five on five. Uh, at this case, but um, he did well, and I guess he was pushed too far on this occasion, so it was a yellow card sitting off, uh, it was Harris who was sent off, uh, cynical penalty, it was Mpimpi who was in a really good position to actually get himself near or scoring a try uh, for the Sharks who were in a good spot as well. Given that, it was set back up the mall for the Sharks, and they drove over through Botha, who took the lead back um, for the Sharks, and they were lucky to score as well, because another penalty like that um, or if that try didn't go over, it would have been possibly a penalty try or another yellow card, possibly for the way that that was taken by the Chiefs. They turned the tide, though, as we head towards the final 10. The Chiefs, didn't they? They really stepped it up again, getting in close to the Sharks line with the pack before rolling it out right to Anton Leonard-Brown, who drags the fenders over with them and bring the Chiefs within one point. The kick was astray. And at that point, many heads did drop in the crowd as they thought they might not have enough to get the job done here against the Sharks. But... Step in one man, Nankerville, straight off the kickoff. The Chiefs pop it out, one out, and straight through his own 22. At pace, splits the line, and away they go, the Chiefs. Hello, Marlo in support. Bosch drags him, and he offloads beautifully to Weber, who was again in the right place at the right time. He started it off, and he's finished it off as well. A thrilling finish to the game that went deep in over the 80th minute. The Chiefs hold tight against some really desperate Sharks attack. They did enough in the late flurry. 
enough to get the job done for the Sharks, uh, for the Chiefs, I should say, against the Sharks. 29-23, another close one. The Chiefs just doing enough, though, to get it done. Their last little stanza was powerful from the Chiefs. Yeah, it was. It was a telling blow, um, but only just. You know, some a desperate tackle here. I think there was a spread up field um, by one of the Sharks fellas and big Canadian chap. He um, he made sure he ankle tapped him and got him in time, um, and he played well, big Tyler Ardern. I think he's he's a, probably one of the buyers of the season, actually in Super Rugby. He's played really well. Um, the Sharks, they seem to play really well against New Zealand sides. They're actually the best South African side I've seen play against the New Zealand sides. Now, um, I think the better side won in the Chiefs. Only marginally, though, because the Sharks have been really good on this tour. They were unlucky to get uh, the win last week in Christchurch. They pushed the Chiefs for 83 minutes, so they'll definitely be fit next week. Um, with the extra <laughs> game time. Um, but, you know, you, you come out, you know, your big guns sometimes aren't always the, the people that win it. It's the unsung heroes. And while Brad Weber is a, certainly a big-name player and, and those sort of things, and 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 but it's it's these, these, these players that the Chiefs have got that they probably don't have the, better, the best depth in terms of the other New Zealand sides, but they're they're starting to build on that, and they've they had to with with D Mac out for the rest of the year, I believe it is, and and things like that. So the Chiefs will take a lot of heart from that, and I hope the Sharks realise that they can be proud of their efforts in New Zealand. Yep, the the, the poor old Chiefs. So they've got they've got a good man to rely on. Number ten, though, good old Southlander and, and his brother Marty McKenzie. Yes, who who Paul completely completely wrote off at the start of the year as desperate times with Marty has to start. Well, look who's leading the Chiefs now, Paul. It's good old Marty McKenzie. I'll never let you forget. We'll move yeah, swiftly every, on. No, everybody else is everyone else is crocked and in hospital. It's <laughs> <laughs> still Marty. It's still Marty leading the way. Leading the way. For the, for the old Chiefs. You can't take that away from them. Going back over, back over to South Africa. The Lions are up against the Waratahs. Um, and it was uh, not very long it took to get underway this one. The Waratahs quickly into their work. Three minutes in and a poor pass finding no one started at all when it was uh, Carmichael Hunt who went back to fetch it and offload while getting hammered to Clark. And another good scrum half line we've seen a lot with Weber in the last match, but this time it was Nick Fibbs who found his way inside to score to open things up for the Waratahs, who started off with a bit of a flurry. The Lions, though, only took a couple of minutes after that to reply. All sparked from another line-out, number nine scrum half pass, looking to his back line. Malcolm Marks says, I'll have that, and he scampered away with it. Didn't back himself fully, though, which I thought was a bit of a disappointment. He took the tackle. The Lions toiled away, and after a few phases later, gaining the advantage inside ball from Yankees to Deontay, and they were back in the game uh, the Lions scoring their first try to level it back up. Quickly back into it, though, two minutes further on. And another one had been ticked up. The Hatars were at it again. A dummy that was sold really cheap. as cheap as chips from Michael Hooper because everyone seemed to want to buy a piece of it and they were all in the stands looking for where they could get it. Allowed them to scoot away and score one back to the lead for the Waratahs. A dummy that um, 
I've never seen so many players buy in my life. Unbelievable. We'd hardly pass the 15-minute mark of the match, and the Lions brought it back again. This time, Levis and his forwards dominating close to the Waratahs line. Too powerful to stop, and he bowled over to bring it level yet again. We did get a little break, though, from scorers. About 10 minutes between them this time, and the Waratahs were back in the action. Second phase off a scrum. Fast line from Simmons, who went straight through a massive crater of a gap between a couple of players in the type five, and he just thunders away to put the Waratahs back in the lead again. And finally, we'd had some good tries, but we got a stunner. Harold Vorster floating across field, just looking for a gap, a bit like we see from a guy like Damien McKenzie. And then he straightens, splits the line in half, Grubbers a little beautiful ball through for Quagga Smith, who we know is a bit of an expert, seven specialist, of course, who finds himself only chasing there. Great little try, X-Factor, and that's what Vorster brought to that. And we went to halftime with the Waratahs leading slenderly, 21-19 over the Lions. Into the second half, the Lions got into their work, seeing they stepped up again following that try um, from Quagga Smith. And the cracker, just before the break, was betted quickly after, and it was all the forwards as well. Warren Whiteley finding space out wide. Then he links up to Levis, who draws out marks into the open before he um, steps it back. And it's not a bad one as well for Marks to run away. He gets it to Skozan. He finds a good back in space, and it puts the Lions back in front again. Multiple key players, but the big thing for this play was they took it two defenders at a time. And that game over, and a great try, I think, for the Lions to put them back in the driving seat. The scrum was a good a pro, a platform for the Waratahs in this match and a solid break from Curtis Rona. Finds Tom Staniforth who drives through the defence to score and yet again, another lead change. The Waratahs are back out in front and then it took nearly 70 minutes. How about this? Not often we say this, but for the first penalty attempt of the day, almost 70 minutes. And it was slotted by Reynolds who put the lead back to the Lions yet again. This one is hard to keep up with, I tell you. Bruno Foley took a stab at a 45-meter drop here to get the lead back, but he missed it. And the Waratahs pretty much under the pump for the rest of the match as they tried to fight to keep it alive. Um, they did keep it alive, but they didn't get back into the game, and the Lions hung on nicely. 29-28. My goodness, Shane. Toppy, Toby, everyone, everyone got the lead. It was all over the shop. Well, you'd think that I'd have a little bit of sympathy for the Tars. <laughs> but I don't. Uh, um, you know, they they played well, to be honest with you. And, and, you know, I think that I was a little bit critical, you know, Steve, when we previewed um, the, the Australian Conference right at the start of this year of Carmichael Hunt. Well, some Australians can get it wrong. He's played outstandingly. Um, I thought he was probably the best. And um, I've seen of him this year. And you know what? I've been critical of Beal. Beal stepped it up in the last three weeks. He's had his three best games in the last two years. Um, so, look, there are positives for the Tars to take out of this. They would have liked to have come back from South Africa with a win. That's not to be. Um you know, they had their chances to put this one away. They didn't quite do that. Um, I don't... I'm not going to blame the referees, although there was an 11-2 penalty count to the Lions, because I think that the Tars, you know, have to take the advantage of the chances they've got. Um, and the Lions did just enough. They, they took, as you'd mentioned, 
the one penalty of the game on the 70th minute to get the, the points in this one. So well done to the Lions. The Tars were not too bad, but um, we've got a bit of work to do to catch up in the conference now. Yeah, you're right. You spoke about the referee, Mr. Seconds, didn't he? Copped a bit of flack after that one as well for pushing players around, pushing guys out of the top of rucks and and all sorts of little, um, I don't know what you'd call it, things that he got up to in the match. Uh, yeah, a bit weird, a bit weird, but um, we'll see if we see him again in Super Rugby. A lot of um, calls that he'll be departing. If only that could happen to Angus Cardner. Oh, well, we'll move on. We've got the last game of the weekend. Um, this one shouldn't take too long. Paul's got a comment. What do you got to say? Okay, I'm just bringing it up on screen now. But the biggest thing about this game on Sunday was it was Mother's Day. So, um, and uh, it was, they put the mother's names of all the players on their backs. Um, and uh, we spent the game basically, or a bunch of us spent the second half on Twitter, listing or, or figuring out the names of all the mums. So on screen now <laughs> is a list of all the mums um, for, the, the, for, for, the, uh, for the Brumbies. So happy Mother's Day to all of them, including number seven, whose mum was called Bossy, apparently. Um, and uh, yes, that, that was the... That was that, and uh, number five, whose mum's name name is Ratty. So uh, there we go. Just that that's me was the highlight of this game. Yeah, you're not wrong because there wasn't too much other highlights going on. That's for sure. Uh, but I think for the Brumbies, they can take a lot from this game because what I noticed from this is it's been a long time since we could say something positive about a Brumbies backline. Um, despite the talent that you look at it and you read it and you say, yes, they've got good guys. Lili Afano, of course, you know, a bit of a, a legend now around Australian rugby. They've got Spates, they've got Kurandrani, especially that last one. There's a guy who was really good, a highly rated player a few years ago. He was one of the best in the world, and we haven't seen much from him recently. This game, he came alive, and uh, he was my standout player definitely in this match, and he got things started straight away. Um, Kurandrani, so he sparked the two tries inside the opening 20 minutes of pretty much Brumby's, Brumby's domination. Um, on the right-hand side, uh, devastating with his old buddy Henry Spate, who we already talked about. He benefited from the first, and it was Joe Powell, um, the young upcoming scrum half, who dominated for the second. And both started with Kurandrani, both coming down the right-hand side, and the Brumbies, well, they were controlling everything, weren't they, really? It took a while for the Brumbies, and I was surprised it took this long for them to go to the mall, but it was just over halfway through the half, and there it is. We've got it going. And surprisingly, you might say as well, they were actually forced to use the back line. The Sun was defending it well enough, and Lele Afano puts a long ball wide for Spate, who grabs a second. So everyone was drawn into the mall. Henry Spate had a free run and out wide. Went to halftime, 19-0. Scoreboard probably not reflecting how dominating this was for the Brumbies. The scrum got them going in the second half and it had all day long, but they thrilled the crowd with a set play special. Spate hitting the line at pace, slicing straight through, popping it over the top of the cover defence to Tom Banks, who slides in for yet another Brumbies try. Some will toured around the Brumbies line for what seemed an age, trying to get something, but they got nothing out of it. And very quickly, as you like, a bit like we talked about the, uh, the Hurricanes in the first match, they turn it over, an uh, intercept out wide, hack downfield. They smash anything the Sun will seem to put up against them. And a big offload from Kurandrani, yet again, he puts in Pete Samu for an easy runaway. And a bit of a sucker punch against the Sun Wolves, who were really focusing everything to try and get something out of the match. But once again, not for the first time this season, it was Zippo, the donut, nutter for the Sun Wolves, 33-0. The Brumbies all over the Shane, it was probably the one of the last points for the Sunwolves this year. 
along with the the game they played against the Highlanders a couple of weeks ago, where again the Highlanders kept them to zero as well. Um, you know the the donut that Homer would like to eat, no doubt. And um, you know there was no man from Snowy River to rein the cult that got away um, this time. They got away from the Sun Wolves. They got out to 19 nil at half time. They put another couple of tries to put the game to bed after afterwards. So Spate and Kurandrani. Kurandrani, I, I love watching Tavita play because he does play good games. I know that they've set inconsistency. It's the best I have seen him play since 2014 when he carved up against the Springboks in Perth. And then a few weeks later in a narrow loss to the All Blacks where he was man of the match that night. So he's a very, very dangerous player when he's on song. And um, he was singing a mighty fine song against the Sunwolves. Um, the Brumbies needed that. I actually think they will start to open up the Australian Conference now and they will win it. Um, I'm not so confident about the Rebels now. Um, I think that with with no more games against New Zealand sides, I think the Brumbies are looking a, little, a lot more confident. Um, not that they weren't, you know, they've beat the Chiefs and the Blues themselves, but um, now that they've got not that added pressure of a trans-Tasman derby, they'll get stuck in. And I think we've started to see who will win this conference in... in um, and take a, an Australian team to the final. So the Brumbies, you know, the horse is now starting to bolt. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I don't think the scoreline fully reflected this game. I, I don't think it reflected how dominant the Brumbies actually were because th this was one-way traffic, bar that little passage at the end where uh, I like the comment in the chat says, everyone was kind of wanting this. The Sun will get something out of this game just for a little bit of entertainment value, just so you don't feel so bad for them. But uh, the Brumbies had none of it, none of it all. Um, they completely shut them out. It was it was dominating performance. It really was all one-way traffic. And that does wrap up round 13 for us as well with a, a bit of a creaming to finish from our seven matches this weekend. But um, thank you everyone tuning in and joining us. I'll flick you back over to Paul and wrap us up. Thank you everyone who joined me in the live chat. We had, yes, probably the uh, most predictable weekend of rugby we've had for an awful long time. Thank you very much, Steve and Shane, for taking us through all that action. Um, the, you saw their uh, Twitter handles online, so get on uh, and have a chat with them um, on there. Also, this coming Saturday for the Chiefs, sort of the Blues versus the Chiefs, I will be down with Stephen, uh, not Steve, a different uh, person, at the Zone Sports Bar in Hamilton. Um, and we'll be doing a pre-match pre show, half-time show, and full-time show. So come down to the bar. It's free entry, uh, and uh, come and join us. And also, this Saturday is my birthday. So uh, come and say hi. Wish me happy birthday. Thank you, everybody. HB, um, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, uh, and have a, uh, have a wonderful evening. <laughs>